have a pretty good number present this morning. I'm I, I pleasantly surprised, I guess, uh, it being Labor Day weekend and the unofficial end to summer, as they say. But uh, we do have a number of folks away traveling. We've got students that have gone back or will be this weekend and so forth going back to school. Um, college students, remember them. We have folks traveling. Please remember them. But we've got a lot of visitors here this morning. And for those of you that are visiting, welcome. We're glad you're here. We appreciate you being here. And I hope we make you feel welcome and you want to come back and be with us. I'll mention briefly, and then again, I, I hope to remember to mention, we are having the tent meeting, as has been said. Remember, it's a big deal right out there on the lawn. So please be here this coming Saturday and bring somebody with you. If you're visiting with us, we are talking about, during this year, the idea of being holy. You can see 1 Peter 1, verse 16 above me. It is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. <clears throat> you have to pardon my voice. I had to work very hard in the first quarter and a half last night. Get my team over the hump, but uh, so pardon the voice. <clears throat> Nonetheless, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This morning I want us to continue to talk about, as we have been emphasizing in this quarter, be holy in my strength. And I'm really going to talk about the idea, I appreciate the song James just read, the idea of restoring my soul, building my strength, returning and being what I need to be, and progressing, moving onward. In fact, a lot of that kind of thing we're going to talk about this morning. And so I decided to call the lesson, and you will see why, uh, well into the lesson, why I chose these four terms. Repairing, adjusting, mending, restoring. If we're going to be strong individuals, as Christians, there's going to have to be a lot of this in our life. We were discussing downstairs this morning the idea of what it means to be righteous, the idea of what it means to be a Christian. And it is not, as it were, as sometimes people picture it, the idea of overcoming some things and then kind of coasting through life. Sort of like as I use the analogy downstairs, and I said I hate this analogy because I do not believe it is what Christianity is all about, but the idea of sort of a space shuttle taking off, and all of that fuel it has to burn, and all of that inertia that must be overcome, etc., and then once it gets in space, it just kind of floats. That's not a real picture of Christianity. No, there's a lot of repairing that goes on in a Christian life. There's a lot of adjusting at every stage of life and at every stage of the Christian life. A lot of times there has to be mending, because things get broken, they get torn up, they need to be fixed, as it were. And there has to be, as we just sang in that wonderful song, and I love that song, restoring. There has to be a lot of it, of bringing back and putting things back right as they once were, but they have not been of late. So a lot of restoring. So as we get into that, let's go back to a familiar picture, and you've seen this many times during this year. I chose this because most people picture, picture God as being high up, way out there. Now, maybe in today's terms, there's more the idea of way out there in space somewhere as God. But all through history, man has pictured God at the top of a mountain. And the idea has been, and the Bible is replete with analogies that deal with the idea of God being at the top of the mountain. And the fact that I need to reach God. I'm down here when I begin, when I start my life, and I've got a mountain to climb. And I think that analogy still works, because we all understand what it's like to try to climb a steep incline, or even to climb a mountain. And so I have said often, it is a daunting task to climb a mountain. 
You're facing how high it is. You're looking at how steep, how rough, etc., etc. And if you're thinking in terms of reaching God, maybe you're looking at your own life and just all that's going to have, all the repairing, restoring, etc., is going to have to go into your life. And so you're saying, man, that's a daunting task. And if you let that build, the fear that's involved, the doubt that's involved, etc., will keep you from climbing the mountain. Now, it's a daunting task in the best of times to climb a mountain. But it is an impossible task to climb it as some people try to do. I want you to think about the difference of what I'm saying there. It's a very daunting task for anybody to climb a mountain. But it's impossible to climb it as some people try to do. And here's why. Because that's the real picture of where most people are. My burden, if you can't read the little sign that's on his back, maybe you can, maybe you can't, but it is a guy holding a box on his back, and it's labeled, my burden. And here's what we're trying to do many times, many people. I'm not just trying to climb a mountain, which is hard enough, but I'm trying to carry my burden up my mountain. And we're going to talk more about the burden in a moment. But I'm trying to carry my burden up the mountain, and it's hard enough as it is let alone trying to do it with whatever I'm packing on my back, trying to climb the mountain. And so the passage in Hebrews 12 and verses 1 through 4. Now, if you're looking at that passage, and we're, we're really going to emphasize verse 1 of that passage. But if you remember, it grows out of the writer of Hebrews, looking at all of these people, faithful people, people who were victors, they were champions, and they are champions of the faith. And as he looks at the Abrahams and Moses and Gideons and Daniels and whoever it might be, in that passage, as he looks at them, the Rahabs, etc., he talks about them being a great cloud of witnesses, because they are. They're witnesses to what faith can do for you in your life. And different people with different burdens, etc., on their back. Different people having to overcome different things, but the end was always the same. They, like Abraham, were looking for a city, they were looking for God, and they made it. And so the writer of Hebrews comes to chapter 12 and verse 1, and he says, Since we have that great cloud of witnesses, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but since we have that great cloud of witnesses that testify to us, it can be done, then he says... He says, let us lay aside, and I'll read the King James and I'll come back to a translation of it. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, you notice what he's saying. In short, get rid of the burden. That's what he's telling us. So let's explore that a little bit. If we were to look at the the verse and really kind of tear it down in its original language, basically this is what he is saying. The strong, that is the one who is going to be strong, the one who is going to accomplish the feat of getting up the mountain, spiritually speaking, of making it, of getting to God. They're going to run the race that lies before them with endurance. Very important. I'm not going to emphasize that this morning, but that is so important. Because endurance means you're going to stay with it. That is, you're going to get fixed in your mind. I won't quit no matter what. I don't know if you've ever said this, but I have said it, and I have literally said it to Satan an incalculable amount of times. No matter what you do, I won't quit. No matter what comes, no matter what goes, no matter what happens, 
I won't quit. I don't know if I'll make it or not. I believe I will. But I know one thing for sure. I won't quit. Now, that comes from a a background that I'm not going to go into today, and it comes from being in fights where I was being mercilessly beat up, you know, and so forth. But my point was always this. You can kill me, but I won't quit. I'll be the guy that you just have to understand that once in a while there's a person who won't stay down until you kill him. And that was just a principle to live by, and I believe it's a Christian principle to live by, I won't quit. So the writer of Hebrews says, run the race lying before you with endurance. Notice in the original language, having laid aside. Now that's interesting. Because in most translations, and I I looked at, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 yesterday. But in most translations, the idea is lay aside the weight and the sin. But you notice the writer of Hebrews is saying, if you are going to get to the point where the witnesses are, it is going to be because you have laid aside and it is staying away from you the weight and, notice, the easily entangling sin. Now, the reason I think he says it like that is because whatever that sin or that group of sins is, those are the things that will entangle you. I don't know if it's like this for you, but I suspect it is. When I became a Christian, or when I decided to, and I've told you many times, I looked in a mirror and I began to enumerate, this has got to change, that has got to change, that's got to go, that's got to stop, all of that. Some of those things stopped right then and there. Never have done them again. Many of those things were easily entangling sins, and every time I had or still with some of them, still want to stop, there they are again. And I believe that's a real picture of Christianity. But what has to happen is, I have to look unto Jesus, I have to focus on Jesus, and we're going to talk about that in the next quarter. I have to focus on Him, see Him, He has to become more and more and more real to me, And he will overcome, as I said recently in a lesson, he is the answer and he will overcome every weight, every sin, every doubt, every fear, etc., etc., and I will be able to climb the mountain. But again, let's go back and keep it simple this morning. Run the race lying before them with endurance, having laid aside every weight, so that's got to be laid aside, every weight, and laying aside And I'll call it that sin, but it can be a multiple of sins. But the sin that is so easily entangling, it's got to be laid aside if I am going to repair, adjust, mend, restore, and get to where I need to be. Now just focus on that for a moment. I've got weight that's burdening me down. And, and I don't believe it is the same thing, and I have sin that is weighing me down, and it's impossible to climb a mountain with that kind of weight on your back. You have to be free of those things to be able to climb. So here we are. And I ask you a question. I've asked it before. Do you ever feel the weight of the world is on your shoulders? I want you to stop and ask yourself that question right now. Do you ever feel like the weight of the whole world is on your shoulders? Like you have got this terrible, huge, big burden or group of burdens... And they're on your back, and it's like the weight of the whole world. That might include family. Anybody here have any family problems or ever had any? 
See some smiles going across the face, so I assume, yeah, you have. Like Wes was talking about, ever felt like a stranger in your own home? I suspect many of you have. Have your burdens, has the weight of the world included financial problems? For some of you, maybe you've never had financial problems, and that is wonderful. Thank God for that, for you, but that's not most of us. Most of us know what it means to have terrible financial problems. Some of us have counted out nickels and pennies to come up with enough money to buy enough food to eat today. And you know what we're talking about. Does that weight include relationships? Relationships can be the most wonderful blessing God ever gave us. In fact, it was the first great blessing outside of the physical creation of itself that God did make. In fact, it was part of the creation. God made a woman for a man and put them together. Relationships can be wonderful, but they can also be an all-consuming burden, can't they? The weight of the world, has that ever included discouragement? I mean, just enough things go wrong that it beats you down, drags you down, you're discouraged, which means if you look at the term, you don't any longer have the courage to do what you need to do. If I've got to climb a mountain, I've got to have some courage. But if I'm discouraged, that courage is removed and I'm afraid. I'm afraid I can't make it. I'm afraid no one will help me. I'm afraid of what's going to happen in the future. And when that builds, it weighs me down like the weight of the world. You ever had personal problems? Things that maybe you even found yourself saying, it's just too long to go into. I just can't explain it. I don't know how to put it into words. But you know that to you personally... It is such a problem, it feels like the weight of the world. You ever had those things dragging you down? What about personal weaknesses? Have you ever looked in the mirror like I did in Andalusia, Alabama, and said to yourself, that's got to change, that's got to stop, I can't keep doing that, I've got to start doing that, etc., etc., and you're weak. And no matter how much you want today to say to yourself, I will never do that again, you know deep down inside that it is going to take perhaps more than you've got, or that's the way it feels. To ever stop doing that thing again. Personal weaknesses. If all of that isn't enough and more we could add there, let me just add this. Guilt. Is anybody sitting here this morning that looks at their life, there is that maybe one thing or group of things or those several things they did. doesn't matter how many years have passed. Time doesn't take care of it. You remember. You know, when the Apostle Paul killed Stephen, he thought he was right. I'm convinced of that. When he knew he was wrong, I don't think it stopped bothering him a day in his life. It doesn't matter that you're forgiven. Logically, you know that. You tell yourself that. When I nearly killed that boy when I was 15 years old, I meant to kill him. I wanted to kill him. I can still feel everything about it. Worst thing I ever did as far as a fight was concerned. I know it was washed away when I was baptized. I know it's gone. And yet, I still find myself in that fight, getting that guy down, 
and trying to kill him. You feel guilty. You've done things that haunt you. They keep coming back. If you let them, it will be like the weight of the world. And all progress up the mountain stops because you feel the guilt. Satan, let me say it like this, God will forgive you. God will forget it against you. Satan will never stop. If it hurts you, if it drags you down, if it stops your progress, then you can rest assured Satan is going to make sure the guilt comes back. The weight of the world. You've got to lay it aside. You have to work on it. You have to deal with it. You have to correct it if it needs to be corrected. You've got to remove it from your life. You have got to lay it aside. That may be, it may mean, if it's guilt, for example, that you will have to read and reread and meditate and pray and know intimately that that is the very reason Jesus died on that cross. And it will have to be personal to you. Not just a story out of history any longer, but real. You have to see Him on that cross. You have to know that when He uttered those words, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do, that you, when you did whatever it is you did, you did not have a clue what it was going to mean for your life. You may have known it was wrong. You may have known it was going to be something you'd have to live with, but you did not remotely understand what that meant. He did. And that's why he prayed. It may take a lot of work. Your family, your finances, your relationships, your weaknesses, your problems, your discouragement. It may take a lot of work, but you have got to lay it aside. You cannot let it burden you and try to walk to the top of that mountain. You've got to remove it. You've got to correct it. You've got to deal with it. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. And the sin. If all of that wasn't enough, the writer brings up the sin. And just like 1 John 3 and verse 9, and you can read it up here or you can turn to it, but it is a very interesting verse where he does that. You remember when Doug was preaching a few weeks ago and he did that ABBA thing and so forth? It's one of those verses. And notice what it says. Whoever is born of God does not go on sinning because his, God's seed, the Word of God, Luke 8, abides in him, remains, lives in him. And he cannot go on sinning because he is born of God. Now notice what it is saying. If the Word of God is in me, if I've allowed the Word of God, Hebrews 4 and verse 12, to dig inside of me, to cut inside of me, to live inside of me, James 1. Remember the man in the mirror and the engrafted Word? If I've allowed that to happen, if I haven't, I need to go to work. And I need to get God's Word inside of me so that He speaks to me. Not in some mirac- you know, miraculous, mystical way, you know, that, I, that kind of idea. No, the work that I put in, so His Word is in me. So that if it's in there, I know it's in there. I may not be able to put my finger exactly where it is like Wendy's Thursday night. Wes and I knew something was in there. We just couldn't find it. But it's in there. And it's in there, and you know it's in there because you have meditated on it. You've thought of it. You've pictured it. It's real to you. It's in there. When the Word is in you like that, 
you do not go on sinning. Now notice what he's saying. It doesn't mean you never commit a sin. You don't go on sinning. You won't live in it. You refuse to stay in it. It will not, the Word of God will not let you go on doing. You feel terrible. You hate it. You won't go on sinning. In fact, you cannot go on sinning. I want you to notice how powerful that is. It is not just that you will not go on sinning. You cannot. The Word will stop you from going, and if it's not, If you're finding yourself and you're sitting there saying, well, I keep sinning, then you need to go back to the Word. It needs to be in you stronger. Because here's the point. The Word of God, or maybe I should say it like this, sin is diametrically opposed to the Word of God. The point is, both can't be in me at the same time. I am either going to remove the sin so I can live the Word. Or I'm going to be out of the race, reject the word, so I can live in sin. Now let's make that practical. Have you ever been in a situation where you were going to sin? And you knew it was a sin. And you found yourself perhaps even quoting to yourself where the Bible says, Don't do this. It's wrong to do this. Have you ever found yourself making yourself get that thought and the Word of God out of your head so you could sin? And before you're quick to say, no, I've never done that. The Bible is saying that if you knew something was right or wrong and you disobeyed it, that's just what you did. And I think we all know what that feels like. I'm not going to listen to that voice that says, don't. I'm not going to listen to that voice that tells me what to do. That's a hard thing. The Bible is asking me, God is asking me to do something that's too hard. It's too much. I don't want to do that. And the more you talk and the more you listen to Satan and the more you reason with yourself and rationalize, the more you will put the Word of God out of your heart so that you can go on and and sin. Or, you will listen to God... And the more you listen to God, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how bad you want the thing or whatever it might be, you end up saying, I've got to do what's right. I can't. I'm not doing that. I will do this. And that's because the Word of God is that powerful. I must lay aside the situations of life that weigh me down. And I must lay aside sin. And I think we understand that. I don't think I'm up here preaching something we don't all understand from a practical point of view. If there is a situation in my life, and it can be a person, place, or thing, and it is dragging me down to the point that I cannot function properly, I can't go on, I can't climb like I need to be climbing, then it's got to go. It has to, or I'm never going to be able to get up the mountain. And if there is a sin that I am committing, and it is burdening me, even if it is a weakness, even if I know it is something that so easily entangles me, it is so easy for me to get involved in that thing, and it is so easy for me to sin. I know it has to go. And I cannot, I cannot rationalize and say, you know what, everybody does it. Let me tell you something. Everybody that does it ain't getting up the mountain. It is only the people that go to work and do these things, laying these things aside, that are going to run the race and get up the mountain. 
That's one reason why Jesus said, few there be that find it. It doesn't have to do with the discovery of some hidden small truth that only you found out and nobody in history ever knew. It just doesn't have to do with that. No, the Bible is written for the most part, and you've probably heard this before, the Bible is written pretty much on an elementary school level. Pretty much. There are some exceptions to that. But written in plain language, easy to understand. And you know why? Because God didn't mean for it to be hidden. He didn't mean for it to be so difficult you can't understand it, you can't get the truth. No, that's not the hard part. The hard part is doing what you know it needs, that needs to be done. Doing what you know it takes. Laying aside the weight, laying aside the sin. We're talking about sins that wrap around you. And I'm talking about the kind of sin that gets in your life and just like something that wraps all around you with all kinds of tentacles and just holds you, hinders you. It entangles you. Maybe you've been in a situation where you got entangled in something. Spider web comes to mind. Oh, how horrible that is at night. You know, you're walking along and all of a sudden it's all over you. Nasty. Well, sin is like that. And in fact, it'll get to the point you, you can't run. It'll tie around your legs. It'll hold your, your arms back. It'll do everything. You just, you can't move. You're just totally entangled in the sin. It's a sin you stay in. We're not necessarily just talking about a sin that you commit, you know it's wrong, you correct it, and you move on in life. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the kind of sin you stay in. Or if you don't stay in it, you keep going back to it. You put it down for a while. You know, it's like the person that knows that it's healthy to not smoke. I will not smoke. And like the guy or the, or, or the woman that quits 35 times and will tell you, I've quit 35 times. And they keep going back to it. You keep returning to something. You keep repeating something. You know it needs to stop. You know it. You know what it's doing to you, and you know it's going to destroy you, but it's there, and you keep going back to it. And, find, and, 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 and in fact, you find that it seems to be easy. You talk to people, and you tell them, you know, you were in this situation the other day, and you were tempted by so-and-so, and the person looks at you and says, man, I've never been in a situation like that. Really? Wonder why? That person that's never in that situation is because they don't deal with this. But you do. I do. And Satan makes sure that if it's my weakness, if it's something I'm prone to, I keep going back to it, that I will have every opportunity you can imagine and some you can't even imagine to get into it again. Because that's Satan. It's the sin that he continues to provide opportunities for me to engage in and fail. That's Satan. I gotta climb that mountain because God is at the top of the mountain. I got a burden on my back. Maybe a number of them, boxed up. I know what they are. I can sit in a room and I can look at myself and I can know exactly what's in that box, and I'm sure you can too. The burden is on my back, and it's keeping me from getting to God. I want you to turn to Isaiah 41. It's a power verse, and I told you this before. It's me. When I say power verse, this is one of them I go back to when things are not too good. 
And I want you to read with me Isaiah 41 and verse 10. Do not fear, God says, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. Don't be overwhelmed by what's going on. For I am your God. I always add the word Michael right after that. I am your God, Michael. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. I want to tell you something about this verse. I'm going to share something with you. When I read this verse, I get afraid. I used to say, you know, I'm not a coward anymore. I don't fear anything. Well, that's stupid. There are a lot of things I fear. Maybe not some things that I once feared, but there are a lot of things I'm afraid of. Mostly, I'm afraid of me, if you want to know the truth. But God says, I'm with you. And you don't need to be overwhelmed by how far it is up the mountain, how big the burden is on your back, how far you've got to go, all those things. You don't need to worry about that, because I'm with you. I am your God. I ask myself this question, what does that mean, God? And I start asking questions. Will you give me the strength that I need to make it up the mountain? Notice the answer. Yes. Will you help me, God, when I can't make it? Notice the answer. Yes. Will you hold me up when I fall down or when I'm ready to fall down and I just can't stand on my own two feet? Notice the answer. Yes. Now you can go on, Michael. Get up. Walk up the mountain. I love this verse. And I love it because I know God is not going to let me fail. God is going to be with me. I want you to go with me to the book of 1 Peter. And we're going to read a couple of verses. And I'll be returning back to these, especially in the last quarter. But let's read them together. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. You probably know what it says. When he says, casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. But go back to chapter 1, if you will, and read with me verses 3 through 7. Because you see, God gives us exactly what we need for praise and honor and glory. I want you to read this with me. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a living hope. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has begotten us to an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, that's reserved in heaven for you. And you are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Now notice when he says, wherein you greatly rejoice, and you do. When you're thinking about heaven and how wonderful it is and you're sure you're going to go to heaven in your best of times, you greatly rejoice. But it doesn't last every day, every minute, does it? So notice what he says. You greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness. You mean this is part of the plan? I'm looking at all of this, I'm going through the heaviness, the burdens, and that's part of the plan, God? Yeah, that's part of the plan. Heaviness, he says, through manifold, many varied temptations, trials, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried or tested with fire, 
Notice, might be found. My faith, your faith, someday at the appearing of Jesus Christ, will be found to praise, honor, and glory. Now, that's what God is doing for me. He's molding and shaping and helping me and lifting me up and being with me and strengthening me, just like Isaiah 41 says. I am with you, Michael, and I am not going to let you fail. But it's going to take some hard times. And so if you'll notice, if you'll turn a page over to 1 Peter 5, what you realize is God gives you exactly what you need for praise, honor, and glory, but Satan wants to take that away. And everything he's doing is to steal that from you and to steal eternity from you. He's lost his. And so he wants everybody else to suffer. Now notice as the Bible goes on here, though, to talk about, if you'll look with me, at verse 9. Whom resist? Resist Satan. Steadfast in the face, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished. You got troubles, you got burdens, so does every other brother and sister in the entire world. And they're accomplished. Now notice verse 10. The God of all grace, who has called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, make you perfect. The word perfect here means repair, adjust, mend, restore. Hence the title of the lesson. The God of all grace does what it takes, gives you what you need, even the hard times in your life to repair you because you're broken, to adjust you because you're not perfect, to mend you because you're torn, and to restore you because you are away from Him and He wants you back with Him. And that's why God gives you these things in life. Notice the, the Job we looked at. And I'll just say this quickly about Job. It's not that Job was punished because he was a bad guy. God wasn't beating on him because he was bad. God was adjusting what needed to be adjusted. Repairing, mending, restoring. Notice the next term here. Make you perfect. Establish you. You know, the word establish means to confirm, but more than that, to direct you towards something. Oh, God, so the situations in my life are directing me, focusing me on you. Yeah. You ever gone through a hard time and found that, strangely enough, in the hard time you are getting closer to God than you have ever been before? God is directing you toward heaven. Learn to embrace those things because God is firmly grounding us in those times so that we steadily are moving in the right direction. Notice, strengthen you. The word strengthen here means to give vigor, to empower. But notice, it means to make you strong by giving or increasing your mobility so that you can achieve the goal. It's like those things, and you can pull Wes aside and ask him about running a marathon. And he will tell you all of these little things that have to be done, very meticulously so, very steadily, have to be done so he can keep running the race. So is God doing that for me and you. God is strengthening me, but in a way that it makes me more able, more mobile to walk up the mountain. And I need to look to what God is doing for me. And finally, settling me. And that's my favorite term of the four. 
Because it literally means to lay a basis or foundation. But notice, it is also a term for consolidating. Where you take a bunch of ideas, and I like to picture it like my mind running everywhere, in every direction. And that's where it is a lot of times. Here I am in a crisis, here I am in trouble, here I am struggling, and my mind is all over the place. And God consolidates that, pulls it all in, meshes it all together, consolidated so that it is stronger. And notice this, it is stronger together. Watch someone building. Watch someone doing construction. Watch how they take different elements like sand that is not consolidated. Sand is not together. But how they mix all those things together and make a solid foundation. That's what God is doing with my life. God is bringing all these things together, putting them together, so that it is so bonded, so it is so strong, it can't be broken. It puts things in perspective. It gives me a stronger base. Even the weights and the sin that I have to deal with. So that the burden is lifted off my back. Repairing, adjusting, mending, restoring. That's what God is doing when I cast all my care, all my burden. My worry, my my anxiety upon Him. Because He cares about me. Are you here this morning? And you need someone to care about you like that. You need someone who is there for you at every moment. Someone that will never leave you. Someone who does not want you to be broken. Does not want you to be lost. And will make sure if you come to Him that you won't be. If you believe in Jesus Christ, that He is the Son of God, and you will confess that belief, and you will begin that whole big process of change. If you will be baptized to have your sins washed away, you will be a child of God. And maybe you're here this morning, and you look at your life, and you say, Michael, I've been baptized. And I'm still the guy at the bottom of the mountain with all the burdens on my back. Start changing that. Start lifting those burdens. Or better yet, Start letting the Lord lift those burdens off your back. Please come while we stand and sing.